From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to a special summer edition of Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. When Mike White shockingly left to go to Georgia at the end of this past basketball season, Scott Strickland needed to find a spark for the program and a new energy. He landed on Todd Golden, and if there's one thing the 37-year-old has in spades, it is energy. Coming to Gainesville by way of the University of San Francisco, we had a wide-ranging conversation with Golden about his early roots, why he developed a love for basketball, how the sport took him across the globe, his unlikely path to coaching, how advanced analytics will shape the program going forward, how NIL will factor into the student-athlete experience, embracing the expectations in Gainesville, and much more. So without further ado, let's jump right into that revealing chat. You know, I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, My father, Scott, and... uh, Mother Gail are both East Coasters. As a matter of fact, my dad grew up in White Plains, New York. Uh, my mom in Toms River, New Jersey, and both went to college. They started on the East Coast. Uh, my dad went to UMass and then uh, graduated from Emory Law School before moving out to Phoenix in the mid-70s. And my mom went to UNC Chapel Hill for two years before finishing up at Arizona. So they actually met each other in Phoenix, and that's where I was born and raised. When did, when did basketball become part of your life? How did that enter the picture for you when you were growing up? Yeah, pretty early on, actually, my father played freshman ball at UMass uh, back in the day. So he he had some good basketball roots. And, uh, you know, really, ever since I can remember, uh, you know, I was a big fan of, of both playing and watching basketball and, uh, you know, would go really uh, nearly every day with my dad to the JCC, which I know you'll be proud to hear. Yes. Uh, you know, to, <laughs> to just shoot hoops and, uh, you know, really – I can remember almost back to being five years old, you know, playing uh, on the outdoor courts there. So it, it really has been something that's really been a fabric of my life for a long time. So this is something I always like to ask players, um, which is at what point they realize that whatever sport that they're excelling in, be it basketball, football, when they realize, oh, this could be an avenue to bigger things for me. So for you, when did you identify that basketball could get you to college, could get you started in a, you know, in the, the, the real world? I and mean, when did that kind of take shape for you? Yeah, it was tricky for me because I played both basketball and baseball growing up. And so generally speaking, the winter was for basketball. And then going into the spring and summertime, I I focused on baseball. And uh, I did that in high school as well. And I didn't play AU basketball until the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. And that was kind of the uh, inflection point for me in the sense of we won the state championship in basketball my junior year, went 29-1, had a great year. And then the next day, I was out uh, with my buddies on the baseball field, you know, getting ready for a game on that Saturday. And I just remembered thinking, you know, man, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good basketball player. I'm a pretty good baseball player, but I'm not quite good at either uh, to the extent that I can get a scholarship if I keep doing this. So right. uh, I had to make a tough decision and decided to kind of hang up the, the baseball cleats and uh, play AU basketball for the first time that summer. And that's really when uh, I made a concerted effort and commit committed myself to trying to earn a division one scholarship. Hmm. So you ultimately did that. 
and you ended up at, at St. Mary's, which is a Catholic school. Uh, and then go, I'm, I'm skipping ahead, but then you, you went and you coached at, at San Francisco, which is a Jesuit school. You mentioned right. uh, growing up at the JCC. So you are Jewish, as I'm sure most people know. Um, what, what was that like? And was that, is that as weird as it sounds to people <laughs> when they hear it? <laughs> yeah, not really. Uh, you know, St. Mary's, along with Columbia University in New York City, were really the only two Division I programs that gave me an opportunity uh, to be a part of their programs. And St. Mary's, I walked on at first. I didn't even get a scholarship. And, uh, mm. But it was on the West Coast. And you know, I, I felt like Coach Randy Bennett uh, had a really good thing going. It was in the infancy stages of his time there. Uh, I joined him for year three. Uh, I think he's now entering year 22. Wow. Uh, so uh, you know, I felt like I was going to be able to get in on the ground floor if I went to St. Mary's. And, you know, it was really a basketball decision. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm okay admitting that it wasn't necessarily an academic decision or a religious <laughs> decision. Uh, I, I was just really passionate about being a part of that program. And, uh, you know, so that was a great experience. And it really, it gave me a lot of what built the rest of my career, uh, you know, just from my relationship with Randy and Kyle Smith, who I ended up working for and then taking over for at San Francisco. And at San Francisco, the same, you know, I had really, I had a really good boss and uh, a really good president who, uh, didn't really mind that I was Jewish. They just appreciated the fact that I ran a good program and, and graduated our student athletes and, and brought really good, smart kids in that were good ambassadors for our school. So uh, even though there were some, uh, re- I, I shouldn't say religious differences, but just, uh, you know, it didn't align necessarily. It was no, it's never really been an issue for me. Hmm. Um, we've been talking for five minutes, yet I, I already sense that you have a, a great deal of self-awareness. Um, so given that, when you were when you were playing in college, um, I imagine you probably didn't think you were going to the NBA. So how did you sort of go through that process of deciding what was going to be next for you and how and if basketball would be a part of it? Yeah, it was, you know, just when I first got to St. Mary's, my goal was really just to get into the rotation and mm-hmm. to be able to play at the division one level and prove that I could do that. And it happened a little faster than I thought by my sophomore year, I was starting and uh, playing a big part of, you know, a, a relatively good team. And then it wasn't until the summer between my, my senior year and my, uh, basically my fifth year, I played, you know, I redshirted my first year. So I was there for five where I thought, you know what, if, if I have a good year here, I might be able to play in Europe, you know, or play overseas in some form or fashion, especially being Jewish. I thought I had a good chance of playing in Israel uh, because they have what's called the Russian rule where you need to play two Israelis on the court at once. And so it's like co-ed kickball. There you go. And so, uh, you know, knock on wood, we signed a really good point guard that year at St. Mary's. It allowed me to slide over the two. And uh, I had Patty Mills running around out there with me my last year. Yeah. And uh, it helped me become a really efficient player. I got a lot of wide open shots and uh, didn't have a lot of pressure on me. And uh, and sure enough, we had a great season. We ended up going to the NCAA tournament. Uh, I had a really efficient, good year, and it opened up some avenues to go play professionally in Israel. So, uh, that was really kind of how that happened. And, and because of having that successful last year, I ended up making Aliyah. I became an Israeli citizen, uh, which allowed me, you know, some really good opportunities to go over there and play and uh, ended up playing over there for two years. Yeah, I was actually just in Israel on a trip a few weeks ago. Um, it, it's it's a different place, right? It's a different experience. The culture is different. I'm curious how your time there changed you, not just obviously you got some more experience playing basketball, but personally, what impact did that have on you? I, you know, I grew up a lot in, in those two years over in Israel because I was on my own. And that was the first time in my life, you know, college, you're on your own, but you're in a community uh, of other students, of faculty, 
you don't feel like you're on your own in the sense, but going over there and playing professionally, I remember moving into my apartment and realizing, wow, you know, I'm, I'm 23. I think I was 23 years old at the time. And there, there's nobody here to save me. You know, I, mm. I got to make my own decisions. I got to kind of blaze my own trail that way. And, uh, you know, I would have to live with all of the decisions I made. And so it, it allowed me and forced me really to grow up quick, quickly and uh, be able to kind of take more ownership of my life on a day-to-day basis and, and realize what was important, what was not. Uh, and, and there was a lot of loneliness to be transparent, you know, a lot mm. of time to myself. Uh, we only practiced like two hours every day. And so I had to try to figure out, you know, how to keep myself occupied and keep myself busy. Uh, but there, there was a lot of time to think and, and try to figure everything out. Uh, but I definitely, I, I definitely came back from Israel a, a more mature person. How much hummus do you think that you ate? Maybe per week, how much hummus? You know what? I, when I got there, I, didn't, I definitely didn't appreciate it. But once, uh, once being there for an extended period of time, uh, it, it was definitely a, a, probably a tri-weekly part of my meal, uh, if not more. And uh, as you know, it's, it's really served with everything over there. So <laughs> it really is. You, you can't really avoid it. But fortunately, I like it. And uh, so it wasn't a big issue. I didn't know until I was there a few weeks ago that hummus is actually a main dish. Here we think of hummus as like, a, you know, something you dip things in as part of an right. appetizer. But literally when you're there, you'll have a hummus sandwich. Like the hummus is the base and then yeah. there's just stuff added onto it. It's very different. Exactly right. Um, yeah. it's, but it's good. But it's very good. Um, okay. So you come back to the States, but you don't immediately get into basketball. Talk about the next step in your journey when you got into the corporate world and, and what led to that decision. Yeah, it was, you know, simply I, I was at the point in my life where I wanted to see if there was other things out there besides, you know, athletics outside of sports that I could find myself passionate about. I wanted to live somewhat of a quote unquote normal life where I had weekends and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're able to, I, you know, I had some FOMO when I was over in Israel. My younger fr- or my friends were, you know, young professionals living, you know, doing some fun things on the weekends, et cetera. So I got back and entered that world. And, uh, you know, I was having financial success and, and everything in that, in that realm was fine, but I, I certainly wasn't passionate about it. And I certainly wasn't having a lot of fun on a day-to-day basis doing it. And I remember vividly, you know, I worked for IMG college doing, you know, college sports marketing for about 14 or 16 months. And then I moved over to Comcast sports in Bay area where I was selling, you know, TV and digital advertising for them around the golden state warriors, Oakland A's, San Francisco giants, San Jose sharks, like around all those games. And, uh, I just hated it, <laughs> to be honest. And it was uh, it was neat because I was making good money, but I, I had I would end up getting what I call the Sunday scaries, where I was sitting there Sunday nights and just really not looking forward to going to work the next day. And you know, I just at that point, I think I was 26 years old, and I was just like, or 25, 26 years old, and I was just like, man, this is uh, this isn't exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. And and then Kobe Altman, who's now the general manager and president of the Cleveland Cavaliers left Kyle Smith's staff. He was an assistant for Columbia at the time. Uh, he leaves Kyle's staff to go to the NBA. And that's when I reached out to Kyle uh, and said, hey, you know, if there's something available for me here at Columbia, I, I'd be interested in, in looking at it. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, he offered me the director of basketball operations position on his staff. And uh, the rest is history. So it's interesting because I, I talked to, to Coach Napier recently and, and his story of how he got into coaching is very straightforward, right? His dad was a coach. He always wanted to be like his dad. He followed that blueprint. That was always his goal. 
But for someone like you who takes a kind of a, a wayward path to get there and doesn't necessarily have the blueprint already laid out, how did you how did you mold the journey? Did you know where you're going to go? Did you have a philosophy in mind? How did it all sort of take shape? Not really. Uh, you know, it was really just getting my foot in the door. And to be honest, after the first week of being in New York, even though I wasn't making nearly as much money, I, I was much happier and, and realized like that's what I was, uh, you know, I was just really excited about doing it and being being back a part of a team, uh, being around student athletes uh, was something that I was really excited to do and, and I was passionate about it. So at that point, it really took a lot of the weight off my shoulders. And I was just like, all right, now I can just kind of see where this thing's, see where this goes, you know, give it a couple of years and see where it goes. And, uh, you know, we had some really good success at Columbia, our second year. And after that was when I got my opportunity to go down and work with Bruce at Auburn. And, uh, you know, it all just kind of took off from there, uh, going from ops to an assistant after a year. And then really going back out West with Kyle as the associate head coach at San Francisco, uh, was when I really started feeling like, all right, you know, I have a really good shot. Uh, if, you know, if we play our cards right and have some success here of, of becoming a head coach at some point. So when that opportunity came and you, you became a head coach, where did the blueprint come from, right? Like what, what were your goals? How did you know what you wanted your program to look like once you were the one calling the shots? Well, I felt like I had two really good models to pull from, you know, I had the Randy Bennett, Kyle Smith model of, uh, you know, just a gritty, grimy, uh, really analytical approach where, you know, really thought out processes in every form and fashion of the program, every every line item uh, from scheduling to budget to player development to on-court metrics was something that we thought about a lot and uh, you know, really tried to become the most efficient program we could. And then we had the, the BP model, which was not nearly the same. You know, it was honestly a 180 in terms of how he did it, where it was a lot more recruiting based, a lot more passionate, a lot more emotional uh, and you know, he would do everything he could to get guys to run through a wall for him and not always the most analytically driven guy, um, but obviously incredibly successful coach as well. And so what I wanted to do when I got to become a head coach was really pull the best things that B, that I thought BP did pull the best things that Kyle and Randy did, obviously put a big part of myself in there and then put all those things forward. And I felt like if I could do that, uh, you know, that I could, I could run a really successful program. And, uh, you know, I think at San Francisco, it was, it was a really good example of that. You know, we had some really good success my first year, my second year, we took a dip. We had some really bad COVID issues. Uh, but year three, I think was a really good uh, example of what we were, we were capable of doing, you know, building a, a top 23 program analytically in, in a place that really, you know, doesn't have top 25 resources. So, uh, you know, now being at Florida, I'm just really excited because we do have top 25 resources <laughs> and feel like if we can run a similarly efficient program, uh, and, and find the incremental advantages in the margins in the same way that we, we can do some pretty special things. So in terms of analytics, I mean, that word can mean a lot, right? I wonder, is there a way to break it down in layman's terms of what that means for how you build the program, for how the kind of players you're looking for? Like, is there a way to, to simplify that or is, or is that what makes it proprietary? No, definitely. I, it's It's, you know, I think people want to complicate the analytical space in sports uh, when in fact, I mean, it, it is complicated at times, but you can really simplify it in saying what we try to do is just gather as much data as we can in, in every aspect of our program, whether it's recruiting, whether it's scheduling uh, like we talked about player development, whether it's on court data for our players and use all those data points and evaluate them properly to give ourselves the best chance to be successful. So it's really just finding as much information 
as we can and, and not, you know, not relying on the eye test, not relying on our feel uh, to make these decisions. But, you know, we want to have some human element in there and, and we do try to pair it uh, to an extent. But really, we're, we're just doing uh, what we think gives us the best chance to be successful. And so when you gather the data, when you do the homework, when you find as much information as you can, obviously, you're going to give yourself a better chance of, uh, of making the right call or making the right decision. And, and so that's really what we're trying to do with every decision that we make across every aspect of our program. Are the data points, is it, is it shot selection? Is it minutes? I mean, how, how far in do you get with these data points beyond, you know, points, rebounds, assists that people would look at every day? Yeah, we, we definitely get a lot deeper than that. Uh, you know, we're looking, I would say we look and evaluate, you know, players and teams more on what I would call advanced metrics, uh, more so than just general box score data. So, you know, we look at things like offensive efficiency, uh, usage rate. Um, you know, we, we look at rates a lot more than raw numbers. So, you know, like rebounding rates on the offensive and defensive glass as opposed to total rebounds. Uh, and then obviously, you know, uh, two point field goal percentage, you know, we don't, we, we dig a little deeper and we look at, you know, how, how players shoot at the rim mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, mid range and, and things of that nature. Uh, but yeah, we, we try to drill down as, as best we can and, and try to figure it out, uh, you know, to a deeper extent than most people. So when you get the call from Scott Strickland that says, we want you to come be the head coach at the university of Florida. I mean, you're not that much older than me. Uh, you're a pretty young guy. I, I imagine that was a, a, a huge call, a huge moment in your life. What do you remember uh, about when that happened? Yeah, you know, that that was a crazy week um, because we were, you know, alive and well playing, you know, getting in the NCAA tournament for the first time in 24 years. It was a really big time uh, on campus at San Francisco and, and felt like we did a really good job of getting that program back where it had been in, you know, in the glory days, so to speak. Uh, not obviously not to the level that Bill Russell had it when they were winning national championships, but back to the early, you know, late seventies, early eighties, when they were perennially making the NCAA tournament. Uh, and obviously with that came some recognition from, from the outside college basketball world, because it just hadn't been done in a long, long time in San Francisco. It really hadn't been done by anybody in the West coast conference outside of St. Mary's and BYU mm -hmm. uh, other than Gonzaga, obviously in the last 25 years. So, uh, you know, I think people appreciated what we were able to build there. And so, uh, you know, when Scott specifically called, I, I told my wife, you know, after our initial phone call, I said, listen, if this, you know, if we can somehow uh, get Florida to the finish line, this is, you know, this is where I would love to be. You know, I think there's a lot of synergies and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, things that we align with in regards to obviously an incredible championship level uh, athletic program, specifically on the basketball standpoint over the past 20 years with what coach Donovan did here. But also from an academic standpoint, you know, being the fifth best, you know, public school in America, and then just being in Florida with the weather and just a great place to raise a family. Like there were so many things that led us to wanting to be here. And, uh, you know, I, I just made Scott or I made sure he understood that that's how I felt. And, and obviously I was there were some other schools that we were in conversations with as well. Um, but this is this was where we wanted to be. And so we were super happy and, uh, and grateful when we got the opportunity to come here. So in some ways, building a program is going to be similar anywhere you go. And, and in, in any time, it would almost be the same. And yet we're at this weird moment in time where the NIL is in play. The transfer portal is in play. So things are both the same and they're also very different all at the same time. I'm curious how you and your staff are, are approaching some of these challenges, because I think the perception from the outside is that, oh, 
recruiting is now guys are going to go to the highest bidder. Um, I mean, how, how do you work through some of the inherent challenges that the the new wave of rules in college athletics is presenting? Yeah, we're honestly, it's a day by day process and, and we're we're trying to figure it out just like everybody else is. You know, NIL is uh, it's very clear that NIL is not supposed to be used in the sense of you know recruiting. And it's supposed mm-hmm. to be something that the student athletes can take advantage of when they're on campus uh, at their institution that they're going to school at and playing for. Um, you know, so we're, we're continuing to try to get as much information from, you know, our compliance department and from our leadership in terms of how to go about it. Uh, the transfer portal has, has definitely changed the game. Uh, it, and, and I would say in some ways for the better, um, and, and in some ways it's, it's made been more challenging as well, but, you know, I tell people, I think college basketball has changed more in the past two years than it had in the previous, you know, 20 or 30 years. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said it, the transfer portal didn't help us at San Francisco. It allowed us to, to really add some really uh, key players down the stretch of our, our run last year. And you will use it in the same here. But we also had some really, really talented student athletes in our program already here at Florida that we were able to keep, you know, guys like Colin, uh, guys like Myron Kowasi, uh, Jason, CJ, Niles, you know, guys are really important in that we're really successful uh, down the stretch last year, you know, just have that nucleus of those, you know, I would say those six guys uh, coming back and being able to build around them and and then sprinkle in different transfers and young freshmen allows us opportunity to be competitive in year one. Uh, but it's a balance and, and roster building is challenging. Uh, I, you know, it used to be that you recruited a lot of freshmen and they would grow in your program over four or five years. Uh, I think the transfer portal has made that more challenging because of the one-time transfer exception. And it's given the student athletes a little more freedom, which I'm fine with. You know, if that's what if that's what they desire, uh, that that's that's up to them to take advantage of that. But it also changes the way that we as coaches have to build our programs um, because of the lack of continuity. So, uh, you know, we're just trying to figure it out and uh, we're taking it day by day and, uh, you know, knock on wood. I think we're in a pretty good spot, you know, heading into next year with, uh, you know, maybe a couple more additions to come. couple final questions for you. In terms of, of the kind of program you want to create, every coach is going to put their mark on a program in a different way. What should fans expect to see from a Todd Golden program, both on and off the court? Yeah, I would say, you know, on the court, you know, we, we try to be super steadfast in the sense of we're going to always try to defend, rebound, take care of the ball. You know, those are three non-negotiables that we think give us a chance to compete and win every night, regardless of how we're playing offensively. And then on the offensive end, you know, we're going to try to play quick. We're going to try to play fast and try to score early in transition. It's the most efficient way to score. If you can play that way, uh, we're going to take good shots. You know, we're going to hunt rim twos and catch and shoot threes, uh, you know, and run some different actions in the half court to, to try to be creative and, and keep teams on their toes. And then off the court, you know, we, we really think smart wins. And I think that that fits really well here at Florida uh, because it attracts really talented student athletes. And, uh, you know, it's again, we got one guys with great attitudes, guys that work really hard, guys that specifically want to be here at Florida. Uh, you know, it's it, it used it's a it should be an easy sell. You know, this is a pretty, pretty special place. And, uh, you know, we're not going to compromise on that because we don't have to. And so we'll push ourselves to, you know, recruit anywhere we need to really to make sure we find find the right student athletes to to join our program. Uh, but we want to bring in good guys that, you know, the alums and the donors and the the faculty, the administration are proud of, you know, guys that can be ambassadors for the school. 
and uh, you know, we'll we'll try to represent ourselves as proudly off the court as we do on. Uh, final thing for you, you talked about from day one, your opening press conference, the expectations and embracing those expectations. But how how do you manage all the noise that could be out there? Because with social media, you could have just a small handful and they can seem like they're the, the majority, right? They can put a lot out there that is that hurts you, that hurts the program. It's negative toward the program. How do you balance the expectations with just the, the practicalities of building a program and, and getting to the level you want it to be at? Yeah, to be honest, you know, we're, we try to be very uh, calculated in the way we approach everything we do on a day-to-day basis. And, and, and with our staff, with our student athletes, like we really try to focus on faith, family, team, and academics and try to keep ourselves insulated that way. And one of the things we talk about, both from a staffing perspective and a student athlete perspective, is to not get wrapped up and caught, in, caught up in anything social media-wise. And, and the reality is, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of great things about social media, but there's also a lot of negative things about social media and we can't allow ourselves, uh, to, to worry about it, to be honest. And there's going to be some great days when we win big games where people think that I'm the next Billy Donovan and that we're <laughs> going to win national championships, you know, for many years. And then we're going to lose a game or two that we shouldn't lose. And people are going to want me fired. And I, I totally understand that and, uh, and know that that comes with the territory of, of working at a great place like Florida, where there's so many people that are passionate about how we do uh, and, and, and where we can take this program. And, and the reality is like, and I've said this before, like that pressure is a privilege, you know, to have people that care to the extent they do is a good thing. Um, you know, and like I said, there's going to be, there's going to be great days. There's going to be tough days and uh, we're just going to keep our head down and keep chopping wood and, and seeing where it goes. But uh, I, I really don't mind it. You know, I think, I think our work will do the talking and uh, you know, there's going to always be people that are, you know, thinking that we're not doing a good enough job. That's fine. I, I think we'll be happy with where we land at the end of the day. You talked about the history of Florida. There's a lot that goes with that. Uh, I know a lot of people reached out to you after you got the job. I'm curious, just as a closing thing, um, the most interesting call or text you got from someone uh, from Gators past in my yeah. mind, I know who I want it to be. I'm curious if it's going to be who I who I hope it is. Well, no, I mean the the one that I was most excited about was Coach Donovan. To be honest, I reached out to him quickly uh, when I got the job, and and he got right back to me in the middle of the season. And he had a million things going on. It would have been very easy for him to just say, "Hey, you know, let's catch up in a couple months when I'm done." Uh, but he gave me a call on that Saturday, really 24 hours after I was announced as a head coach. We talked for 30 minutes, and and he was awesome. Uh, just telling me he was, you know, willing to be as much of a help or as little of help as I wanted and that he just wanted to, to support us and wanted us to do well. And, you know, really, if I needed to bounce anything off of him, that he was there for me that way. But it was just it was really comforting, you know, knowing that someone that has had such great success here and was able to take this program to such amazing heights was willing to be supportive and, uh, you know, had no ego, you know, was mm-hmm. was willing to continue, even though he hasn't coached here for close to 10 years now, but, you know, willing to continue to put the program first and, and didn't worry about, you know, what Billy Donovan's thought was here at Florida. He wanted more Todd Golden in the program to continue to be successful. And that meant a lot to me. And so uh, we've talked a lot since then, and uh, we're going to catch up here now that the bull season's over. We're, you know, we're bringing Torian Green on staff and, mm-hmm. and another way to connect the dots uh, to a really, really great time within the Florida basketball program. Uh, but that that was the one and just having such a great conversation with him and and really getting to understand how he felt and what makes this uh, what makes this place special was, was really unique. 
I was hoping you'd say Joe Kim Noah called and asked you to come hang out with him in LA or something. But Coach Donovan <laughs> is cool too. That's also very cool. Uh, <laughs> very meaningful, I know. Uh, well, Coach Golden, listen, thank you so much for your time. You have a very cool story. Uh, Gator Nation is happy to have you and wishes you a lot of luck as you move forward. I appreciate you, man. It was uh, enjoyable to be with you and we'll be talking soon. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. We've got one more special episode for you this summer, so check back here in a few weeks for an exclusive chat with Billy Napier. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.